Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, I'm thrilled this morning to have a a guest in the studio with me who is... um, working in the Philadelphia area, not from this area originally. Her name is Shema Abdullah, and Shema is the owner of Rittenhouse Dentists in Philadelphia in Center City. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, just so the listeners know, you, um, you're you a young woman for having your own dental practice. You've done a lot um, over the past couple years. and um, But I want to talk first about your, um, your life, uh, being born and raised in Egypt, and what led you to uh, the United States and your practice. So talk a little bit about um, Cairo, I believe, is where you were born. Oh, I was actually born in Qatar. Okay. Um, It's a small country in the Middle East, and we came to the United States when I was two years old. So from the ages of two to 13, I was actually between Albany, New York, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. And then at 13, we traveled back to the Middle East, and I finished up middle school and high school over there. Okay. So what what brought you to the United States at two? Was it uh, the work of of mom and dad? Yes. My my father found a job in the United States, Mm -hmm. and he was finishing up his studies as well. So both of my parents are physicians, and they're actually the first college grads in both of their families as well. Oh, that's nice. So education played a really big role in their lives, and it played a really big role in making them who they are. And they really stressed that in all of their children growing up, too. So when my parents came over here, my dad was finishing up his residency program. And we moved to Pittsburgh because he was accepted at a women's hospital in Pittsburgh where he um, did a fellowship. So his job was one of the main reasons that moved us around. And then we ended up back in Kuwait for seven years. And that was really interesting being back in the Middle East, and then after seven years coming back to the U.S. So it was a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Can you talk about, you know, what what main differences did you see between schooling and education here in the U.S. and in Kuwait? Well, I was lucky to, I was really lucky to go to an American school while we were in Kuwait. So a lot of my teachers um, were actually American in Kuwait. So that's why I don't have an accent. A lot of people ask me, like, if you grew up in Kuwait, why don't you have an accent? Yeah. But I went to American schools my whole life. Um, There was definitely a big culture shock from going to high school in the Middle East and then coming to college in the U.S. Yeah. And things like alcohol. So alcohol is actually illegal in the Middle East, in Kuwait. And then coming to like college life at Penn State, I was like really thrown off. (laughs) What's going on here? I think that the culture shock and that adjustment period actually really helped me out because I really just focused on my studies throughout college and I used that transition period to um, really just be a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting. So you, you know, you you didn't become distracted by um, what was going on at Penn State and and again, yeah, big, big difference culturally. Um, do you have siblings? 
I do. I have two brothers and two sisters. Okay. And what do they do? So my older brother's an investment banker. Um, my older sister works for Samsung, and she actually lives in Korea right now. Oh, wow. Um, my other older sister is a radiologist, and my little brother is still in college. Okay. So I'm the fourth. Wow. And so that's a lot of medical backgrounds there. It is. My parents definitely tried to gear us towards the medical field. Mm-hmm. And I think they were pretty surprised that only my sister became a radiologist because they definitely tried to stress it as the best job you could have and everyone should become a doctor. So they were surprised when my two oldest siblings didn't take that path. Yeah. And my little brother looks like he's probably going to take this. He's going to be a doctor as well. He is. Did you always, as a young girl, were you always interested in in science and, and math? I wasn't actually a great student growing as in grade school, middle school, high school. I, I, I didn't have the best grades. My older sister was always the star student, like honor roll. But um, I really got interested in dentistry from a lot of personal um, dental issues that I had growing up. Okay. So growing up, I found myself in the dental chair all the time because of a lot of dental issues I had. And after all of my dental work was done and I realized what a big difference having a confident smile had on my life, that's really when the light bulb went off for me. And I was like, you know what? I want to be a dentist (laughs) and I want to change other people's lives like dentistry changed my life. Yeah. And you had the most beautiful smile. I can't imagine that you had (laughs) any kind of issues growing up. I had a lot of issues growing up. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I feel like everything happens for a reason. And, you know, growing up, I was so embarrassed of my teeth and so embarrassed to smile and really self-conscious about it. I was so terrified of like public speaking and and all of that really turned into this passionate career I have for dentistry and helping everybody have a confident smile. Yeah. Now, I, I know firsthand that dental school is not easy. It is really difficult. And um, you graduated from Temple. I did. Right? What yes. year did you graduate? 2009. In 2009. Not that long ago. Um, what I'm curious to know, because um, just for the listeners, you have your, your own practice. You did not graduate and step into another practice. Um, while you were in school, did you make that decision that you were going to open your own? Or was that something that you decided after graduation? That's something I decided after graduation. And I it kind of happened that I was at the right place at the right time. Um, so for the two years after I graduated from dental school, I worked at a couple different dental practices. And you, I really found myself kind of at the bottom of the food chain at some of the practices that I worked at. Mm-hmm. Like you really feel like you're a worker bee who's really just no one's really paying attention to or like taking into consideration what your concerns are and you're just, you know, expected to see 30, 40 patients a day. And sometimes at the end of seeing 30, 40 patients, you don't even remember who your first patient was at the end of a day like that. Yeah. So I got an email around that time that a dental practice was for sale and I love the location. It's such an amazing little residential area. It is a beautiful area. And I went to see the practice about a week later, and then everything just fell into place from there. So it was an established practice that, and he was looking, or she was looking to sell? Is yes. that right? So it was an established dental practice. They were a specialist, so he was actually a periodontist. 
and he he was running into some medical issues, so he had to sell his practice. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention was that your practice is an all-female practice, which I love. And and again, you're in an industry that's typically has been predominantly male. Um, I know that there's more women going into the field today. Was that a conscious decision to have an all-female practice? It definitely was because I find that the female healthcare provider tends to be a little more compassionate, a little more gentle. We also have smaller hands, which is nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I tried my best to hire people that are very similar to me, not only so that we all get along in the office, but so that I know that my patients are all getting the same quality care and I can kind of streamline the care that's provided in the office. So I try to hire women that are also very friendly, easy to talk to, um, very easy to connect with for patients. Mm -hmm. And I try to hire people that know that I really want them to take their time with every patient. That's a key that's a key point because I think there are a lot of the practices where it's kind of get them in and get them out, you know, more like a mill as opposed to really taking the time. There's a big difference between those two types of practices. Definitely. Uh, go ahead. And I that's one of the main factors that I really try to stress at Rittenhouse Dentists is that it, the most important thing is the patient experience mm-hmm. because we don't have a practice without patients. So the patient is always right in our practice, and the patient experience is the number one referral source for our practice. So as long as at the end of the day, the patient feels like they were prioritized, their concerns were addressed, and they feel like the people in the practice are really doing their best to make them feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. the patient's always going to come back. That does the best that's the best source of referrals that you can get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between, you know, the dental industry here in the U.S. and back in Egypt? Sure. Um, it's The dental industry is definitely a lot larger in America than it is in the U.S. I'm sorry, <laughs> a lot larger in the U.S. than it is in Egypt. Um, so back in Egypt, and I do go back a lot to visit my extended family. You do? Okay. Um, it's more it's more like you go to the dentist on an emergency basis. So if you have like a toothache or something, an infection or something, that's when you see the dentist. So it's not seen as like a preventative care that you go to regularly. It's mm-hmm. just like putting the six fires month out. maintenance. They don't do that. No, no. not at all. Um, did Did you ever consider ha- having your practice there, or did you always feel that the U.S. was where you were going to be based? I think that once you get settled into the U.S. and you start a business here, it's really hard to um, to think about venturing outside of the U.S. Um, I don't know if I would start, if I were to pick a place outside, I don't think it would be Egypt. I might pick somewhere like Dubai, which is a lot more open to um, business people coming from different countries. Mm-hmm. They have a lot more open economy. So I would probably pick somewhere like Dubai. Um, when you think about your practice, one of the, I want to talk about the letter that I received from your husband <clears throat> so the listeners understand how we connected. This was such a wonderful story. Um, I received a letter out of the blue from uh, a wonderful gentleman who was speaking so beautifully about his wife. 
and the fact that um, how proud he was of her for the work that she did and and coming to a new country. And um, he started out with, I'm sure you receive a lot of letters from husbands about their wives and why they should be on your show. <laughs> and I laughed because I thought, no, I haven't. Um, I wish I had, but he was the first. Um, and it was so, it was just so beautiful. I could feel and see the respect that he has for you, how incredibly supportive he he is of you, um, not just as his wife, but um, of your career. And um, he spoke to how young you were, you know, uh, to open a practice at 26 years old and really become successful quickly. Um, So I would love to know where that confidence came from in you, um, whether it came from your upbringing Um, Is it something that you always just had this kind of self-belief that, you know, you could do things on your own? Um, It's not it's not typical for a young girl to um, take on, number one, their own business. But number two, such a a difficult field as dentistry. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot to learn. And then there's the whole business end of it. So tell me tell me where that came from in you. Sure. Um. To be honest, I really wasn't that confident going going into the practice. You're 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 really nervous and you're scared on in the beginning because you, it's kind of a new territory and you don't know what you're getting into. So at first, I hired like a consultant to come in and help me out and tell me what what to do with everything and put everything in place. And then after a couple months, um, everything. Everything is just a lot easier, and it starts to run its own on its own almost. Like once you set up the basic systems in the office, it's a lot easier to manage. So it's just those first six months that were really rough because you're you're really scared because everything is new, and you're like, well, I don't know what to do with this. How do I do payroll? How do I right. do QuickBooks? How do I set up my accounting? Yes. And you're it's yeah, it takes a while, but once you adjust and you just have to. You just have to go full force ahead. You can't just you can't be like shy or timid and say like, oh, I'm nervous. I don't want to do this. Like you just have to full force ahead, face everything. Yeah. And take care of it. So you did. So you were nervous, but you just kept you just do it. Right. It's that old phrase. Just do it, even though you have fears. And but reaching out to a consultant, I think, was really key. Um, you know, you have to decide, you know, which software you're going to use for the practice. Right. And right. And And they definitely helped make some of the major decisions um, in the very beginning when you because coming from a coming from a background where you're used to being an employee and, you know, just going to work, leaving work and you have nothing to do with behind the scenes. Right. And then suddenly you have to take care of everything you really need. If you don't have a mentor then I think a consultant really does help just to make those initial decisions because there's so many decisions to make. Right. So that was that was a great move. Do you have a mentor? Was there somebody um, in your life that was a mentor for you before before you opened the practice? Um, not particularly, but the practice that I worked at before opening my practice. Um, was actually female owned and it's a very large dental company and she owns at the time she owned 80 or so practices across the country so it's wow. probably a lot more now wow. and she that's was, a lot to manage <laughs> it is and she was pretty young as well she was in her 40s so I was always in awe of her and I'm like you know what if she can do this then I can do this too yeah but she started out pretty young 
you know, we before we came into the studio, we were talking about an article that came out in the news today about um, dentistry being the number one career right now. And, and I'm assuming they mean based on the number one career for for income and satisfaction. and Right, I saw that. Yeah, why, why do you think that is? Because it's also one of the most stressful positions. Um, I think there's been a lot of articles written about uh, why dentists are under so much stress and so much pressure. And I believe it's because the number of patients that right. they see in a day. Um, so, but w- as far as that news article, what do you think it was that they were speaking directly to about it being the number one field? I think that dentistry is a a great career and it's actually really great for women too because it offers you a lot of flexibility as far as like your scheduling goes, the days that you want to work. When you own your own practice, you can also decide how many patients you want to see a day. You can really dictate a lot of what you do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot different than a lot of other jobs where you're kind of closed in a, on a, in a box uh, about like what you do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Or having to be there nine to five every day. Exactly. You know, five days a week. Um, have you seen, a, um, has there been any effect on the practice from insurance standpoints? You know, years ago there was a lot, people have, people were covered. Today yeah. there's a lot of out of pocket. Are you seeing a difference in um, your uh, patient base based on that? Yes, definitely. Insurance makes a huge difference um, with dentistry and how many patients you see. Our practice actually takes a lot of insurances, so we participate with a lot of major insurance plans. Um, But unfortunately, insurance still tends to dictate a lot of treatment. And the Mm -hmm. way that insurance is kind of set up, the patient always feels like, well, if my insurance covers this, then that's what I'm going to do. It might not be the best treatment for them. But they they always think like, well, my insurance covers this, so that must be the thing that I'm supposed to do. Right. So that's the biggest issue I have with insurance is that not only does it create a lot of paperwork and administrative work for the dental staff, but it also sets up certain parameters in the patient's mind that this is what my dental treatment should be, regardless of what what's best for my health. Yeah, it yeah, it's a, it really it does it dictates um, the level of care, and you know that should never be the guideline for what treatment you know um, a doctor is gonna is gonna do. Um, how soon after you op- opened your practice did you hire other dentists to come in? So about two years. So I opened the practice in 2011, and I bought my first associate on in 2013. Last year? Last year. Yeah. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And how many do you have today? So I have two associates and myself. So there's a total of three dentists. And how much of the time would you say you're, you're actually treating, and how much of the time are you running the business end of the practice? It's always tough to find that balance between... Um, having enough time for patient care and having enough time to make sure that everything's running smoothly. And I would say right now I'm about 60-40, so 60% patient care, 40% practice management. Is that a, a nice balance for you? Do you enjoy that or do you, do you prefer one over the other? I actually really enjoy both. I enjoy patient care and interacting with patients and making them more confident in their smile And I also enjoy the practice management. I like looking at the numbers 
And I like kind of being able to control the bottom line and tweaking certain things and changing like different vendors and suppliers so that and seeing how it changes the practice. So I like both of them. Um, yeah, if I had to choose one, I would I think that 60 40 is a good balance. But if I had to choose one, I would probably choose. Um, it'll be a tough choice. <laughs> so you like both. I like both. Did you yeah. ha- I mean, there's a lot to running a business. Um, aside from, you know, the dentistry, did you take business courses um, when you were at Penn State? Um, I actually didn't take any business courses. You did. What did you major in? I, start, I majored in biology. You did. Okay. So the, I didn't really have any business background going into this. And a lot of the lessons you just have to learn the hard way, unfortunately. Right. Like you learn from your mistakes and it's actually the best way to learn a lesson because you never make the same mistake again. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) That's one of the lessons in life. Don't make the same mistake twice. (laughs) Um, uh, I I know that you sit on a couple of um, boards, different organizations, and um, I wanted to ask you why you think it's important to to kind of be active in the community. I mean, obviously, it's important, you know, networking and meeting people and getting more patients. But um, the work that you do, what is that one organization that that's fighting? Um, oh, oral Philly cancer? fights oral cancer. Yeah, yeah. How did you get involved in that? So the, I got involved in that because the founder of Philly fights oral cancer is actually one of my patients. Okay. So he came in. And we met just casually, and he said, hey, I have this organization. I was wondering if you wanted to get involved. And he told me a little bit about it, and it's actually a really great tool to help underserved communities in Philadelphia, people that can't afford or don't have access to dental care, um, and it provides free oral cancer screenings for them. And they t- it tends to be um, a very high-risk patient population. So what happens is... Um, Every once in a while, I see some of those patients in my practice, and I do complimentary oral cancer screenings. That's really nice. I, you know, what do you know what the statistics are for for oral cancer today, as opposed to years ago? It's definitely increased due to um, like an increase in smoking. The smoking, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and there's an increase. I, I kind of was hoping that people were starting to be more. Uh, you know, with all of the education that maybe the numbers were going down. I'd be curious to know what it is in in teenagers Mm -hmm. as far as the smoking. Um, What kinds of things do you do with the organization other than seeing patients that are um, underprivileged? We also have um, different events across the city, so in different um, community colleges and at Temple Dental School, we actually have different events where we'll just have like a free dental day and we'll see patients all day do oral cancer screenings and basic exams and just make sure that there's nothing major going on. And it's nice because it gives people peace of mind for if they're not able to go to a dentist, they can at least see a dentist for a day and say, okay, like I don't have anything major going on. I don't have any disease in my mouth. Yeah. I think sometimes pe- people don't understand how directly um, connected your dental health is with the rest of your health. Um, can you talk about that for a few minutes? Why that, you know, it really is. And if sure. you're not taking care of your dental health, you can have issues in all types of yeah, different organs. Your mouth is definitely the gateway to the rest of your body. A lot of times patients come in and we'll see really inflamed gums or a lot of bleeding and they'll have 
um, undiagnosed diabetes or other conditions that they weren't even aware of. So people see the dentist more than they see their doctor in the U.S. So a lot of times dentists are really the first people to give the patient a heads up, like, hey, you really need to go see your doctor. I think there's something going on. Um, and recently, flossing has been linked, um, or actually treating your gums has been linked with a reduced um, percentage in heart disease as well. Wow. And what do you think the connection is there? Well, if there's less bacteria around your gums and around your teeth, then there's less bacteria that's entering your body. So... Wow. I didn't, I mean, I, I know that that's true. You know, my husband's a dentist, if I didn't say that already. <laughs> so I know a little bit. Um, but I, I, I don't think that people really understand that connection of, you know, I think they think sometimes the maintenance is just, you know, an, another way for the doctor to get a patient to come in the door, but it's really not. No, it's really important for their health. Um, and we always stress that with patients when they come in. Because sometimes they'll come in every six months and then they'll be like, okay, well, nothing's going on. So I'm going to skip my next couple right. visits or they just get busy or they move. And then they come in two years later and then the patient that had no cavities all of a sudden has like five cavities. Yeah. And they're really, they're always really shocked. Like, oh no, I've never had a cavity before. Right. No. So preventative care is really important. It, like it, anything. It's why we exercise. It's why we take vitamins to kind of, you know, preventatively, um, just be, you know, conscious of, of, of what we're doing so it doesn't lead to something. Right. Um, do you, I wonder if you have any aspirations to ever teach. Um, I know that uh, my husband also went to Temple, mm -hmm. and um, there's a lot of professors there that were previously dentists themselves. Is that ever something you think you might want to do? Yeah, I'm definitely interested in teaching. Um, so right now I'm kind of in between starting another practice so once I have that under control and I have a little bit more time on my schedule, I think that's something I'm definitely going to be interested in. Talk, talk about what it takes to open another practice. How, you know, what are you doing on a day-to-day -day basis to do that? Sure. So there's a lot of paperwork involved. Um, the first thing, the first most important thing is to find the location that you want to be in. So this first office is in an amazing location. And I wanted to be in a similar location where it was kind of a mix of residential and commercial where people are in the neighborhood to work and they're also living in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that you really need to find is the right location. And then after that, um, it depends on if you're buying an existing dental practice or if you're building one from scratch. So my first practice was existing and the second practice I'm building from scratch. The nice thing about building it from scratch is that you you can actually design the office. Yeah. So you can have your dream office. You can design where you want all the dental rooms to be, where you want every, like all the treatment consult rooms. And that's a really nice factor. Um, and then you have to, of course, get all the financing, the permitting, make sure that you can build a dental practice in that space. And then once that's done, the construction starts are, are you working with a designer, or are you doing that yourself? Um, so the construction group that I'm working with has a in-house designer, mm -hmm. and they're kind of giving me suggestions and showing me different palettes, like which colors we're going to use, what we're going to do on the floor, and 
what paint colors. Yeah. I mean, I, it's always interesting to me de- designing different spaces for different industries. There's a whole theory and philosophy behind it. So in, you know, dental offices, people come in, they're apprehensive, mm-hmm. they're nervous. Typically, you know, they're right. coming in already feeling anxious. Um, so there's all kinds of tricks of the trade to visually enhance a space to make people right. feel relaxed. Right. Right. And when I first um, got my practice back in 2011, the entire space was blue. So the walls were blue, the chairs were blue, the floors (laughs) were gray. Everything was really masculine and it was an older male dentist. So it kind of made sense. But I redid the whole space and I made it a lot more comforting, um, a lot more contemporary. So I got rid of all the blue and I replaced it with more neutral tones Mm -hmm. so that when patients walk in, I don't want it to smell like a dental office. So we always have like nice candles. And I don't want it to feel so much like a dental office. I kind of want them to walk into a comfortable space where mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this is nice. This doesn't look like a dental office. Yeah. Not, I mean, it, it's sterile. <laughs> it needs to right. be sterile, but you don't want it to feel that way. Exactly. Yeah. Those no, neutral tones and greens and everything. I know that that makes a big difference. Definitely. Um, tell me tell me what you're, you know, um, I want to know more about you and and how you came to this place again um you're making it seem that it all kind of was not easy but what you've done coming again from a different culture and being young and not really having um the guidance from a family member to do what you've done is is really impressive to me um what are some of the things you battle in your business day to day what are the some, some of the things that you struggle with personally mm-hmm I think there's, being a business owner, there's always difficulty um, managing the people in the business. That's always one of the one of the hardest things. So finding the right dynamic and making sure you're hiring the right people for the right position and kind of giving them enough space so you're not micromanaging and letting them do what they need to do to make the practice successful. Mm-hmm. That's always the toughest part for me because I always try to make it really clear what everyone's job role is but then I take a step back and I kind of just let them do it Mm -hmm. on their own instead of micromanaging so I think following up on that and just making sure that everyone's doing what they're doing is always that's always the tricky part for me yeah and and observing something maybe do you have trouble kind of speaking up if you see somebody doing something the way you wouldn't do it um no we actually one of the things that I stress in the practice is open communication so we have monthly meetings where everyone is open to voice any concerns they have. Um, I introduced like a new communication tool in the office. It's like a messenger. So you can write anyone in the office a message no matter where you are. Yeah. And it just makes communication so much easier. So even if you're just running five minutes behind, you can send a quick message. Hey, I'm running five minutes behind. Can you let my next patient know? Mm-hmm. It makes everything flow a lot easier. So I think that I've always encouraged a very open communication in the office. Yeah. And that helps nip a lot of nip a lot of drama in the bud. Right. <laughs> with all women especially. <laughs> right. um, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Shema Abdullah, owner of Rittenhouse Dentists here in Philadelphia. We'll be right back. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. 
are ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear, by the way, are inspired by artistry and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevedacouture.com. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip, or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. I'm sitting with uh, Shema Abdullah, and Shema is the owner of Rittenhouse Dentists here in Philadelphia. Um, it's a practice that she opened um, on by herself at, at a young age, 26 years old. I keep saying that because I know that um, other doctors sometimes work years and years before they decide that they're going to run their own practice. And um, we spoke a lot about the practice in the first half of the show, but I want to learn more about you and um, what what inspires you in your work every day and what kind of keeps you grounded and, um, and, and really what you do to kind of de-stress. Because I know firsthand that the field of dentistry is a very high stressful um, position simply yes. because of the number of people that come through the door on a regular basis. And these are patients who are typically, they're not real happy to be there. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're right. We definitely but hear that a lot. You hear that a lot. You know, they come in and they say, I don't want to be here. You know, I don't like or you. I hate the dentist. I hate the dentist. I didn't want to say that, but I know <laughs> that's what they say. So um, talk a little bit about what you do to de-stress. What, what are some of the things you enjoy doing outside of work? And then I, I would like to know as well what, what you do to, you know, to kind of work through that, um, the feedback that you get from your patients on a daily basis. Sure. So one of the main things I do is I do a lot of yoga. Um, we actually had in-office yoga for a while. So I had a yoga instructor come in on certain days of the week and we would have like an hour, half an hour where everyone would just be free to come in and do yoga together which was a really good way to start the day. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of reading in my free time. And me and my husband, Naveen, both come from pretty large families. Mm -hmm. So on the weekends and in a lot of our free time, we're just hanging out with our family. And they always keep us grounded. So yeah. <laughs> your family does. Definitely. Um, tell me what your husband does. He, you know, he's the one that prompted this whole interview with that beautiful letter. What does sure. he do? So Naveen comes from a really strong business background as well. Um, he's a restaurant franchisee, mm -hmm. so he owns restaurants in the Poconos, and he's in the process of opening um, more restaurants in the Philadelphia area. And he actually manages, I think it's like 80 employees. So, I, wow. yeah, he's a great source of information for me. I could always like call him if I have a question. We bounce ideas off of each other. Um, yeah, he's really inspiring. 
Do you, do you have plans to to have a family of your own one day? Yeah, I think we're 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 thinking about it. We're just we're trying to. We just recently got married in August. Okay. So, <laughs> and I've probably I keep forgetting that. how young you are. <laughs> I've gotten that question so many times since we've gotten married. I know. I don't mean to sound like your grandmother <laughs> or your mother. When are the babies coming? <laughs> but we decided we'll probably wait a year from when we got married. So yeah, you have a lot on your plate right now. What are some of your um, future goals? Do you have you know aspirations to do anything outside of dentistry down the road? Um, I definitely want to expand um, like the Rittenhouse Dentist brand, not only in multiple offices, but also the idea that prioritizing patient care needs to be the main the main practice in a lot of healthcare facilities. Because I feel like a lot of times, even when I go to the doctor, I'm waiting for two, three hours sometimes in the waiting room to see the doctor for only like five minutes. And right. I feel so rushed. And I, I just don't know when healthcare became, when the patient experience became so devalued mm. in the healthcare world. Yeah. So I definitely want to bring that back. Um, as far as outside of dentistry, I haven't really thought much about that. Well, again, you have a whole (laughs) lifetime ahead of you to give that some thought. Um, I'd love to know if you have a a personal story about a patient that you treated. You know, you talked about the importance of a smile, you know, and and it really does give you confidence. Um, And if there's a story of of a patient that you took care of that you kind of saw a change in in them because of the work they had done. Sure. Um, I definitely get a lot of positive feedback from patients. Um, sometimes it's not immediately after treatment, but it's like a year or so after they'll send me like a thank you note or even an email and just letting me know like, hey, it really changed everything for me. Like they were really self-conscious, similar to my story. They were really self-conscious about their smile or their teeth. And then just the the small changes, it made us, it makes significant change sometimes with that person's confidence and self-esteem and then they can go on and be a lot more proactive in their life. Yeah. Um, do you see, you you have a general practice, is that correct? Yes. And do you do cosmetic, a lot of cosmetic dentistry we do. as well? Mm-hmm. Is that a big part of the practice? I'd say it's about 40%. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you see families, children? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And, and there, there's a lot of pra- dental practices in our area, in the suburbs and in Center City, Philadelphia. Um, how do you... I don't want to say how do you compete with other offices, but what would you say is different about your practice? What kind of sets you apart? So we do our best to really, um, like I said, prioritize the patient experience from the moment they walk in the door. And we also keep everything very tech friendly. So when you walk in, you don't fill out paperwork like a regular. You actually do it on an iPad and the iPad connects automatically to our software. Oh, I love that. No so, clipboard and No clipboard, papers no paperwork. And... Everything wow. is very tech-friendly. Yeah. So the x-rays are also digital. All of our charting is digital. So everything is very streamlined. Um, and then we also introduced a lot of fun things that patients can do while they're in the dental chair. So if you want to watch something, we have Netflix goggles, and you could pick a TV show <laughs> or a movie. <laughs> And if you're like really nervous about your root canal or really nervous about the procedure, you could just sit back, watch your favorite show and relax. Wow. 
Well, you're really modern. You have all <laughs> you have all the latest and greatest, right? Yeah, patients T- love it. It just introduces something new for them. Like they're like, "Wow, I never had this at a dentist, and it's really nice that I have this option." Yeah. And if they're nervous and they don't want the video goggles, they could do. Um, we actually have a massage therapist who's a dental assistant, and she's available for hand and foot massages. So if you just want to have your feet massaged during a cleaning, you could have that too. Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So you really created kind of like a spa atmosphere in your exactly. dental practice. Yes. Yeah, that's so smart. My so God. I got the idea. Um, I actually took a Botox course like three years ago. Um, at it was, You know, the Greater New York Dental Meeting, it's the biggest dental meeting in the world. And they always offer really new courses um, so I signed up for the Botox course just thinking, oh, this is interesting. I mm-hmm. didn't know dentists are getting into Botox. I, but... I read that. They are. Yeah. And that's really what paved the way because I was like, well, if I'm offering Botox and facial fillers, then I need to create an atmosphere where this makes more sense. Right. And it doesn't make as much sense in a dental office as it does in a dental spa-like office. Yeah. So that's when I started to make the changes. So would you describe your practice as that, kind of a dental slash spa yes. practice? Mm-hmm. And is that something that's new and, and catching on on a national level? or, or Yes, that- I think that is becoming more and more popular as, as dentists realize that patients really like to feel like they're the main priority for the, for every, like for the dentist, for the assistant, for they like to feel like this person is really caring about my experience and that's that makes the patient a lot more comfortable too yeah because the number one thing that people are terrified of when they go to the dentist is am i going to be in pain Mm -hmm. so if you're doing everything you can to kind of like take your time make sure you explain everything that's going to happen and then offer all of these amenities if they want a paraffin treatment on their hands or a massage or then the patient's like, okay, they're really doing everything they can to make me more comfortable. Right. And then as a result, they get more comfortable. Do you feel you you have more female patients than male patients in your practice? Yes, by far. Um, I think when I did, we actually do the demographics at the end of every year. And I think I was at 68% female and 32% male. Yeah. Do you market it that way? Or, or actually, you don't do that much marketing. Am I right? You, you, all of your um, patient base is by referral? A lot of my patient base is by referral. We do some online marketing. So a lot of um, like internet marketing like Yelp ads. Um, and then we have like a Google page, a Facebook page. So it's a lot of like social networking. Mm-hmm. But I don't actually place ads in like the paper or do like postcard ads and stuff like yeah. that. Have you found that you've actually gotten new patients from being active on social media? Yes. A lot of people will refer their friends. Um, They'll like forward them a Facebook post or um, we had like an Instagram competition last month where if you take a picture in the office and then tag us on Instagram, then you could win an iPod. Whoever gets the most likes wins an iPod at the end of the month. So different competitions like that, I think, bring a lot more patients in. Yeah. Because a lot of the patients we see are um, like young professionals that live in the Rittenhouse area, and they're very um, social media savvy. They are. You know, it, it is. It's so interesting to, to, to me that 
while sometimes it seems kind of silly, you know, to have all of that social media a part of your business, it really is necessary only because you have the ability to reach so many more numbers uh, of people to get a message out than if you didn't. It's almost right. you know, and a lot of patients are becoming really um, internet savvy, so they do all their research on the internet and they check your Facebook page, Instagram page, your Yelp reviews. They want to get as much information as they can before they meet you. So you're really competing with all the other dental practices that are also on social media. Right. And yeah, it's tough, but I have, um, I designated one person to do all the social media. Oh, that's good. And it she is does a, full-time a really great job. job. Yeah. Yeah. Plus it gives you that visual. I mean, you have a beautiful office Thank and, you. and you know, it's important to show that, you know, and, and, um, you know, that visual of seeing the people that are there, what kind of space people are going to walk into, that's really valuable. Definitely, yep. Um, I wonder if we can talk a few minutes about um, young women today and leadership. Um, you know, you're, you're in a leadership role and you participate in lots of things outside of the practice. And I think it's really important today for young girls to have mentors um, women like you that are, first of all, you're in, you know, what we call the STEM field, you know, you're, you're a doctor and you're in the science field and we need more young women to go that route. And, and what types of things do you think outside of mentoring can we do to encourage young women to pursue those types of fields? Um, especially the ones that have been predominantly male, you know, oriented. That's a great question. Um, because I think that a lot of times, I don't think that leadership, I think that there are natural born leaders, but I think that leadership can also be cultivated if you make the active choice that you want to do this and I want to be a leader, I want to be a CEO. I think that you can make that choice and work towards it. Um, I think programs like yours are actually really great because it gives young women an opportunity to see other young women in leadership positions and then just like me, I was like, hey, if she can do that, I can do that too. Yeah. And it kind of like plants the seed in your head. And from there, you just have to take all the necessary steps. But once you make the decision that like, hey, I think I can do this and I want to do it, there's really nothing standing in your way. Yeah, you're, that's so true. You know, we talk a lot about the, the barriers and the obstacles the glass ceilings, you know, holding women back. And I would say very often it comes from within. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I was recently watching an interview with Oprah and she said the same thing because the interviewer asked her, how does it feel to be at business meetings all the time and be the only woman in the room? And she said, she was like, I love it. I feel so empowered when I walk in a room and I'm the only woman and I command all the attention. Yeah. So it's really how you look at it, you know? Yeah, it is. You know, we all, it, it, and she probably feels I have something to say, just as important, and we all do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that belief. What was your schooling uh, like? Uh, your high school in Kuwait is. Were you in an all girls? Academy I wasn't. Or was no, it co -ed? Um, yeah, I actually went to. It's called the American School of Kuwait, and my high school was really strict. So it was a very small school too. So we only had sixty students in each class compared to like the hundreds of students in high school classes here. Yeah. So it was a really um, nurturing environment where you, you could take, and it was actually really hard. I remember high school being harder than college. Actually. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, I remember high school like was so much homework, and but the teachers really paid attention to you. 
and they wanted you to do well. It was a really great environment. I think that played a big role in like starting my life goal towards academia. And yeah, that's a really um, important time in a young woman's life, high school years. It's and mm-hmm. it can, I think it's pivotal. I think it, you can kind of go either way. You can be building your self esteem. During those years, or you can be kind of falling by the wayside if you don't get the right, um, the right guidance. Right. And me and my sisters all went to the same school. So whenever we talk about high school, we're like, it's really good that we went to that school because it made a huge difference. After, after going to a really hard high school, college is a lot easier. Yeah, it's, it's the foundation. I mean, Mm -hmm. elementary is as well. um, But high school, I think really kind of builds your character base during Definitely. those years. Um, did you, you're, the, the teachers in that school, would you say they treated the girls and the boys equally? I think so. I, there was actually a lot of female teachers at the school. I think I had more female teachers than male teachers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them came from years of experience. Like they weren't like brand new teachers just starting out. They were actually like older teachers in their 40s and 50s, so they've been teaching for a while. And I think that's one of the reasons we had such a good education there. Yeah. What, what kind? Is it a private school? It, it's a private it school. It is a private school. Mm-hmm. So it's the. tell me again the name of the school. The American School of Kuwait. American School of Kuwait. So are these schools in other countries as well? Yes. So there's an American School of Cairo, American School of Beirut, and all of the major cities across the Middle East, there's... Mm-hmm. There's branches of like American schools. There's also British schools, French schools, and international schools. So I wasn't aware of that. Do you know who founded that particular school? I actually Do don't know? remember. I don't remember his name, but I knew he was, he was like a Kuwaiti family. It was privately owned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you graduated high school and you came back to the U.S. with your entire family came? Yes. And you mentioned your mom is a doctor. Is she that is. right? Mm-hmm. And, and where does she work? She's not practicing right now. As a doctor, she actually helps my dad manage his, um, my dad is a pathologist, so he owns a pathology lab, and she helps him manage his practice. Okay, so she must have been a great role model for you. Definitely, yeah. My mom was very, um, she's very ambitious, and I think she was really, it was really important for her, for her daughters to have strong goals and ambitions as well. Mm -hmm. And her mom was actually really ambitious too because she was the only daughter. So my mom has seven brothers, seven older brothers, and she's the youngest. So her mom wanted to make sure that she was going to achieve all the goals that she wanted to achieve. Was she the only one that went to medical school? Yeah, she's still the only college grad in her family. Wow, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. really, that's a big deal. Did she um, talk to you about that, or did you just kind of see her her journey? They didn't really talk to us about, like, hey, look, I'm the only person that graduated college in my family, and look what a big difference it made. You kind of just see it growing up, and you realize what a big difference education makes. Mm-hmm. And for my parents, education made a huge difference in their lives, and it really they both come from very humble backgrounds um, and from huge families. My dad is... The oldest of thirteen or fourteen. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I always is that typical count. for in, in Egypt to have those? Large it, I think it was a lot more typical at the time, like sixty years ago. Now, <laughs> sixty <laughs> now, no one can afford it. Yeah, no one's doing it now. <laughs> but yeah, he's the oldest of thirteen, so 
I have like a hundred first cousins. Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> but they both come from really humble backgrounds and my they had to work so hard to get to where they are today. Mm-hmm. And you go back for family yeah, we functions regularly? Last time I went back was actually right before the Egyptian revolution, which was like three years ago. And we had no idea that that was going to happen. We were there in December and then the revolution happened in January. Wow. So we were at home watching it on TV like, oh, my God, I can't believe we just missed this. Wow. And that was the last time I went back. But my my dad and my siblings, everyone still goes all the time. Yeah. Tell me what you think about. I'm sure you're familiar with Malala. I am. And what she's doing. And, you know, um, I was so fortunate and honored to be at the um, the Liberty Ceremony, the award that she received. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she is, to me, just one of the most courageous young women I think we'll ever know. Um, And she's all about education, not just for women. She wants education for all. I mean, her mission is that no one should be, um, you know, held back from from having an education. What, what inspiration would you say you've gotten from, from her story? I think her story is amazing. So from what I remember, um, she was attacked by the Taliban yes. for encouraging women to go to school. To go to school, yeah. Right? I mean, she was shot on the school bus on her yeah. way to school. And she can't, you know, she she survived, number one, which was remarkable. Mm-hmm. And then she immediately came out and said, I'm going to continue to speak out. It's amazing. I think her message is really important. And she's it's so rare that a young woman has such a strong message that the whole world hears. Yeah. And coming from, you know, a community where women aren't always allowed to have such strong voices. Right. And she really got out there. And even after, um, you know, getting out of the hospital, she just put herself back in harm's way. She's really courageous. Yeah. I think one of the reasons where that came from for her was is her father. Mm-hmm. So her father, rather than following the tradition of encouraging, you know, his daughter to, to get married and, you know, pretty much just be a mother, he's the one that said, you deserve it. You know, um, he's been that support for her. And I think that's so, um, it makes a big difference, you know, for a woman to tell another young woman, you can do it, you know, whatever yeah. you want to do. But for the, for men, or mm-hmm. father in particular, did you get that type of advice from your dad? Yeah, my dad was always very strict about it. I didn't even have a choice of like, am I going to go to college? It wasn't even a question. Like it was like, what are you doing after college? <laughs> he was always really strict on education um, for all of his children. That was really like they really stressed education growing up. So all of us knew like we had to do we had to do something. We had to make something of ourselves. Yeah. Um. And my dad. That was one of the best things about my dad is that he he didn't differentiate between the boys and the girls in the family. Like mm-hmm. he was like, I don't care if you're a girl, you're still going to do the same thing your brother does. Right. So and that was for sports and for for everything. I wanted to ask, did you play sports? I was going to ask you that. I played basketball in high school. You did? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I mean, sports also really important, I think, for young women. Yeah, that's Athletics. a huge confidence builder. It is. And you learn a lot playing sports. You learn a lot about teamwork. You learn a lot about leadership. Mm-hmm. So I think that sports is huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, had you not been interested in the medical path, would do you think he would have supported you as well? 
For a while, I was actually interested in cosmetology because I really like working with my hands and I really like, you know, like the transformation process of like doing someone's hair or makeup and then they feel so much better. Yeah. And, they, you know, I always yeah. like that transformation. So a while I was kind of geared towards that path. And then once I, I realized around high school that I was like, OK, I really want to do dentistry mm -hmm. because that's when my smile transformation was undergoing so I was like oh this is what I want to do yeah well it's similar you're still you know um certainly it affects people's appearance right right you know dental work and you do see a big transformation in people when they feel they can smile and you know be proud definitely mm -hmm. um what would you say to a young woman who might be listening that is contemplating going through dental school I think that it's a great choice for women um it's a great field to be in it's very uh, female friendly, and we, like I said, we have smaller hands, so our patients like <laughs> it. Um, I think that patients are definitely getting a lot more comfortable with having female dentists because, like 50, 60 years ago, it was very rare. And now it's becoming a lot more common, and I think it's a great field to be in for women. I guess, especially if they're if they do have plans for family, um, as you said, it's something that you can do part time. Exactly. Although, if you if you're going to put your own kids through dental school, then you might have to work a few more hours, right? <laughs> sure. Um, we just have a moment left. I'd love for you to give your contact information for the listeners, so if they want to get in touch with you, they can. Okay. So my practice is called Rittenhouse Dentist, and we're located at eighteen zero one Pine Street, and that's right at the corner of 18th and Pine in the Rittenhouse area. And our phone number is 215-545-8600. And website? Um, it's rittenhousedentist.com. So okay. there's an S at the end. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you so much, Shama. It was a, a great to have you on the show today. Thank you for I wish you me. continued success with the opening of your, your next practice. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and feel free to reach out to me at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone.